The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So please um, take up your seats, those of you who have any place to sit or stand. If the body has a landing place, if the body has a landing place, please land it there. I was told that uh, you tend to like to uh, stop the formal deliveries at about four o'clock and then uh, have from four to five for informal schmoozing. Is that correct? Dharma, dharmic schmoozing. Is that correct? Of course. Why not? Why not? Okay. So we'll, we'll hop now um, to the realm of stream entry and um, during this putting together of this book um, the way that it deployed itself Ajahn Pasna and I um, he's the co-abbot with me at uh, Abhayagiri and he and I um, had plenty of time to <laughs> contemplate the format of this book and how we might put it together and it, it um, as I tend to be more of the um, sort of conceptualizing uh, um, type, then I, uh, it devolved to me to do the, um, well, the pieces about the, the general philosophical terrain of um, the Buddha's teachings on ultimate truth. And then as Ajahn Pasano is more of the, of the practical hands-on guy, um, uh, the how-to person, so he uh, uh, put his attention onto the practices and perspectives. So the, the last part of the book is much more uh, involved in, in uh, okay, given that this is the case, this is the, the, the nature of the, the landscape of the island, okay, so what do, we <laughs> what do we do about that or how do we act or, or work in relationship to that? Um, so uh, I thought we'd hop straight to the uh, section on, on stream entry, which is, begins on um, page 278, chapter 16. And the chapters, uh, the first one on Sotapanna, the spiritual turning point. Bhikkhus, suppose there were a man with a lifespan of a hundred years, who could live a hundred years. Someone would say to him, come good man, in the morning they will strike you with a hundred spears, at noon they will strike you with a hundred spears, and in the evening they will strike you with a hundred spears. And you, good man, being struck day after day by 300 spears, will have a lifespan of 100 years. Will live 100 years. And then, after 100 years have passed, you will make the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths to which you had not broken through earlier. It is fitting, Bhikkhus, for a clansman intent on his good to accept the offer. 100 years, every day for 100 years, 300 impalings. Right? If you do the, do the math on that, that's um, uh, about um, 10,000 spearings, 10,000 impalings per year, 100, 100 years, so a million impalings, right? Have I got the math right? About a million impalings? <laughs> um, well, 365 times 300, give or take. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I knew someone could do it. So a heck of a lot. So there, um, and uh, the Buddha says, it is fitting because for a clansman intent on his good to accept the offer. For what reason? Because this samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point cannot be discerned of blows by spears, blows by swords, blows by axes. And even though this may be so, because I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure, rather the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied only by happiness and joy. So the stream entry is also known as the breakthrough. Um, and uh, the Buddha, in this is one sutta where it's, he's very good at giving these graphic images that get your attention. <laughs> uh, other ones that are of a similar nature is where um, there's a whole section of the co connected discourses called the breakthrough and the first sutta is called the fingernail 
And the Buddha reaches down and scratches the ground um, and picks up his finger and says, what do you think, monks? What's greater in quantity, the amount of, of dirt under my fingernail or the great earth itself? Which is greater? Um, oh, Lord, you know, the amount of dirt under your fingernail is very small and the great earth itself is very um, great. Yeah, there's no comparison. It's incomparable. There's no way you can, you can put the two together. And he said, even so, the amount of, of suffering that one who has made the breakthrough can expect to experience um, uh, is, is comparable to the dirt under my fingernail in comparison to, to the suffering the one who has not made the breakthrough to stream entry uh, can expect is comparable to the great earth. And one after another, after another, after another, he, he gives these teachings. So it, he really puts it across like this is, uh, this is a, makes a big difference in your life to, <laughs> to reach stream entry. Now I'll read Ajahn Pasana's little commentary at the beginning of this, this chapter because it's, um, I think it's, it's very significant. Um, Although Nibbāna is the highest and most worthy goal for one practicing the Buddha's teachings, the thought of ever attaining the sublime nature of that goal can appear daunting. So, to show the point of access to that goal, it's often useful exercise to contemplate the first level of realization, stream entry. This helps to provide a clearer sense of what needs to be done in the first stage of the practice and to provide a reminder of the practice's positive and attainable fruits. Therefore, exploring the various facets and aspects of stream entry should be a fruitful endeavor, as there tends to be little talk about or discussion of this, quote, lowly, unquote, unquote, attainment, which often lives in the shadow of complete realization, nibbana or arahantship. Particularly in a modern Western culture, inundated by advertising and the overstimulation of the consumption ethic, the mind can be constantly searching for anything with a superlative uh, prefacing it, the ultimate, the perfect, the refined, the exquisite, if this is the case in our spiritual aspirations, we'll tend to overlook the foundations when trying to reach the ultimate too quickly. This impatience can easily lead to frustration and a feeling that the goal is impossible to attain. So, reflecting on stream entry can play a very important role, especially in that it allows us to see what can be incorporated into our daily lives and practice. A Sotapanna is one who has reached the first stage of liberation, stream entry or sotapati. The early commentators emphasized that the stream enterer had a first taste of Nibbāna and the motivation arising from that initial realization would, without a doubt, provide the impetus that would carry the aspirant on to the final goal. After one has realized stream entry, one's full awakening is assured in not more than seven lifetimes. This is nothing to be looked down upon. Stream enterers will not be reborn in any of the lower realms. They will at least be born in the human realm or higher. This is a great blessing. The ultimate goal of the teachings is not a one-shot affair. Either you get it or you miss it completely and, forever are out of, and are forever out of luck. There is a progressive maturing of insight into the nature of the goal that leads the practitioner to relinquish the obstructions blocking realization and to fulfill the qualities commensurate with realization. A good example of this is the account of the, of the Buddha teaching his first five disciples. With this teaching, Kandanya was able to understand and realize stream entry. Over the following days, uh, over the following days, the Buddha continued to instruct the five until they had all entered the stream. Then, on hearing the Anattalakana Sutta, the discourse on the characteristics of not-self, they were all fully freed. Although some people may be quicker than others in, in reaching the goal, the structure of the unfolding insight is common to all. The most familiar description of the stages of realization contains four levels. The stream-enterer, Sotapanna, once-returner, Sakadagami, the non-returner, Anagami, and the one fully enlightened, Arahant. These levels are differentiated according to the fetters, the Sanyojana, that a liberated person relinquishes at each stage. So uh, then, the, then these next two suttas define these, the ten fetters. So the five lower fetters are identity view, or self-view, doubt, and the distorted grasp of rules and vows, Silapata uh, Paramasa, sensual desire, karma raga, and ill will, biapada. These are the five lower fetters, and then the higher fetters, the last uh, of the of the ten, are uh, lust for form. That's um, like attachment to the rupa jhanas. Lust for the formless. Uh, that's attachment to the formless jhanas. Sorry, the first one is uh, attachment to the, the jhanas of form, the lower jhanas. Then lust for the formless is attachment to the formless jhanas. Then conceit as mimana, 
Restlessness, udacha, and ignorance is the last, avicca. These are the five higher fetters. So that, uh, I feel, is a really important theme, and I, I wanted to sort of bring that into the, the room. And it's something that Ajahn Pasano, um stresses over and over again, and uh, I think is uh, a worthy reflection, because uh, people tend to think of you know, enlightenment or you know, liberation as this uh, remote possibility off in the distance, but the, the role of stream entry in Buddhist, uh, Buddhist life, and also particularly the... Um, uh, the, the attainability or the reachability of stream entry for, for householders, um, people who are living a, uh, a life that is not just um, taking care of spiritual training, but also looking after uh, a job and a family and, and uh, householding and, and uh, in all its facets. But uh, ever since the, the Buddha's time, it was, it was very, very common for people even living in a, a um, uh, situation of many uh, worldly commitments to be able to realize stream entry and, and this is a goal that's not beyond quote, quote the average person unquote and so that uh, that um, uh, that I, I feel is uh, a very helpful thing and also that um, just understanding what that what that uh, um, what that is referring to um, the uh, so the first three fetters, and this, it was interesting. The last time that Ajahn Sumedho came and led a retreat here in California, pretty much the entire retreat he was talking about how to to break through the first three fetters. He didn't spell it out in in uh, saying, "I am now teaching you how to break through the first three fetters," <laughs> but uh, there was a tremendous emphasis on understanding what self-view is, sakaya ditti, and, and how to to you know to know that, to understand it, and to, to free the heart from that. Also understanding the nature of doubt, how, what doubt is, how to work with doubt, and to, to free the heart from doubt. And also what is uh, sila pata paramasa, or this attachment to conventions, or, or um, that uh, uh, rules, uh, like the, the mistaken grasp of rules and observances and such like. So that he made a, a huge emphasis on that. And, uh, and so that these are are not sort of things that are, are remote or difficult to, to work with. These are very tangible objects. So when we talk about self-view, this is a, a, a kind of a Buddhist jargon word, <laughs> but it means that it's the I- I- illusion that I am the body, I am the personality. I am English, I am a man, I am a Theravadan, I am a monk. Uh, today, uh, you know, this, is, this is kind of my age, I'm 53 years old, and... Um, that kind of I am this. This is my personal history. This is uh, my. Uh, this is who and what I am. That taking that as, as ultimate and absolute realities. That is self-view. The um, basic attachment to um, the experience of the, the body and uh, the mind. That this is. These are my thoughts. These are my memories. These are my ideas. These are are my. Um, talents, these are my problems, these are my crimes, these are my opportunities, these are my memories. All of that is self-view. It's the I am uh, associated with um, a, uh, uh, a whole variety of those different aspects of, of, of memory, of the body, of our social situation, our curriculum vitae. It's all those, I, those course level I am's are what the Sakaya Ditti. So it's also referred to as the embodiment view. Sa means true, kaya is body, and ditti means view. So the view of the true body or the real body. So that that uh, and uh, in the process of insight meditation, uh, obviously there's a, a very direct bringing of, of the mind to explore that and look at that. That and all of the teachings about anatta uh, revolve a lot around that seeing those kind of deep attachments to. Um, Identification with with our, our age or our job or our, our thoughts or our feelings, our moods, our mind states, our, you know, all those different pieces. Then uh, attachment to the what's sometimes referred to as rites and rituals or rules and con, uh, con, uh, observances or conventions. Silapata paramas is a difficult word to translate into English, but it's. Um, it's that sense of uh, believing in some kind of social convention or some sort of ritual form is absolutely real. Like this is, uh, say you, you um, 
you come here to IMC. This building is now IMC. It's not the, whatever, the transcendentalist church or whoever they were before you came here. So now that this is IMC, you don't wear your shoes in this room. When this was a church, I'm sure it wasn't a rule they had to take their shoes off before they came in here. In fact, if you took your shoes off, they'd say, put your shoes on. You know, this, this is a church, put your shoes on. You can't take your shoes off here. So, thinking that when someone crosses that line that has their shoes on, the mind that goes, take your shoes off. She, she shouldn't have shoes on here, that's wrong. That's attachment to Sila Bhatta Bharamasa. And that the, so that, that is a, um, a huge range of different things that, we, um, uh, that come into that. But, so, it's where the mind takes hold of a, uh, of a belief or a social convention, uh, like things like political parties, which side of the road you drive on, uh, the, even the, the, the meaning of words. <laughs> uh, all of these things, these are, these are conventions that we, are, uh, that we determine in, we, into existence. We give them val- we ascribe them value, and then we get lost in the value that we give them. That we, we say, no, this is valuable. And so one example Ajahn Chah would always give is money. He'd say, well, you take this piece of paper and we say it's worth 10 baht. And then another piece of paper, and it's worth a hundred baht. Another piece of paper, and it's called it's a thousand baht, or you know, in this country, dollars. Like same size of paper, same amount of ink, one dollar, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. I mean, a ten thousand dollar note. You know, then they don't even give you extra ink. You know, <laughs> they don't even change the color. It's all just green, as, as far as I know. It's just they can't even afford a second color on that. It's just, uh, but this one is worth ten thousand of these. But it's, but it's because we agree. And then they change the currency, and then that ten thousand dollar note is worth nothing. You're just putting it, in, lining the bottom of your birdcage with it. Yeah. <laughs> Last week it was worth ten thousand dollars, and now it's just birdcage liner. Yeah. So, it's an agreement that that uh, we determine into existence. And so, uh, and so Ajahn Chah would say, look, you know, that if if uh, you go along with the agreement, then it has value. If you don't go along with the agreement, it doesn't have any value. You know, it's just like what the mind adds to it is, uh, is something that we're missing. We think, no, that, that really is a thousand dollar bill. That, no, that's, that's really valuable. So, well, it's as valuable as, as you make it. If the economy collapses and there's the Federal Reserve vanishes or that the, the owners of the Federal Reserve, uh, which is not run by the government, interestingly enough. Did you know that? I had to learn that from my civics test when I became an American citizen. One of the questions was, which branch of the government runs the Federal Reserve? And the answer was, none of them. <laughs> learn everything on an afternoon in Nibbana, don't you? <laughs> but, okay, they all moved to the Cayman Islands with the Federal Reserve. <laughs> and then you're left with your bank account number and then, you know, Access denied. <laughs> no one home. I got my number. Yeah. Where's my, my savings are, are, are where? <laughs> so this is a, attachment to conventions is, is buying into the, the, the forms, the agreements that we have. Or things like fashion. What makes, what's, what's beautiful, what's ugly. You know, look at pictures of what was fashionable 100 years ago or 10 years ago. 20, it, uh, and you, you see a picture of someone, you know, oh, that was the 70s. Oh, that was the 1890s. Because what was normal and what was fashionable then has totally changed. Now, if you saw someone wearing that, you think, oh, they must be going to some kind of fancy dress party. Oh, it's, it is, it's Halloween, isn't it? They must be doing a, going to a retro 70s party because it's, it's, uh, it's Halloween. Because that's the convention. And the nowadays, the, the, the ordinary wear of, of 2009... No one blinks at, but in 20 years' time, they oh, wow, that's so like back in the teens or the pre-teens. You know. How strange, how quaint. Yeah, this is what you're wearing today. It'll be a quaint retro outfit in 20 years' time. But something says, no, no, this is normal. Well, I mean, we can't really talk. But this is <laughs> two and a half thousand year old retro. You know. This is the longest standing fashion. An- Ananda designed this. 
two and a half thousand years ago. So, um, so this is attachment to conventions, thinking, no, no, that's beautiful, this is good, this is valuable, this is, that's worthless, this is right, that's wrong. And the, the degree to which the mind will, will not recognize, no, this is just, we, just, we decide to call this IMC and then that means no shoes on the bit with the carpet. If it was a, the, the, uh, the Christian church, then it would, be, it would be different. Rightness and wrongness in those respects just it relies upon personal agreements. Then doubt, uh, the, uh, the third uh, of these three, is not doubt about what you're going to have for dinner or uh, doubt about what time you're going to leave this afternoon. It's, uh, particularly, it means doubt about what is and what is not the path. So that's, uh, but, uh, that's its specific uh, focus. So it's not just, also it's not even just the, the, the quality of, uh, of doubt as a hindrance to concentration where the mind is just caught up in, in random questioning. But the, the doubt which is a hindrance to the um, to stream entry or that which is a, a, um, uh, an obstruction to stream entry is particularly not being clear about what practicing the Dhamma is. And, that, um, and so that um, uh, revolves around that sense of uh, on what they call often using as a synonym for stream entry is getting beyond doubt which in a way is knowing what you need to do knowing what is what is the essential element of practicing Dhamma and what are the supportive things or extraneous things uh, and such like so these three then when, when those those three have been fully uh, understood and uh, and let go of then that br- that brings about stream entry which is also known as uh, as I said, as a breakthrough, or as a, an interesting term, is the change of lineage. Because when when there's that fundamental dropping of identification with the body, with the personality, then it says a little bit about your ancestry, doesn't it? If I'm not the body, if I'm not the personality, then what does that say about my connection with my parents, <laughs> my grandparents? And, and that if that's if, if the body is, and the personality are not absolutely who and what I am, then where do I come from? What's the rest of the story? How does that fit? So that the Buddha used this um, phrase, the change of lineage, to, in a way to expand the, the, uh, the view or to represent that expansion of view that comes with stream entry. Like, yes, well, these are... To, to say to your mother, you're not, uh, all dhammas are not self, you're not really my mother. It doesn't work. <laughs> and I, I hate to confess that... In one of those uh, ardent letters back from Thailand in my earliest days, I, I did try to convey that. <laughs> Never, ever try that. <laughs> it was a zealous 21-year-old trying to, trying to get mom, mom to understand. <laughs> Took about six months to un- unpick that one. <laughs> Bad mistake. Too zealous, too... Too keen and, and not enough. A lot of a lot of faith and not enough not enough wisdom on that one. But it does. If the insight is genuinely there, then it does put things into a bit of a different perspective. Yes, these people are still your parents, and you're, you're, they're the antecedents of your biological existence. But if this is body and this and these personalities not fundamentally who and what we are, then what does that say about the rest of the picture? Again, these are, are things to to uh, reflect upon and, uh, and to say, well, where, what, what is the, uh, the source of all this? Where does this come from? What, 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 kind of, what am I or who am I? And these are other themes that, we, that one can pick up and explore in meditation and say, well, if that's not who and what I am, then where does this come from? Or what, what is the, the, the ground of, of this being? What's the... Uh, um, the source, and uh, exploring that, and, can, and that, and really working with that kind of question with a, an investigative uh, and wise, mindful approach can really help to to support the breaking through those kind of attachments to to sakaya ditti. So these are the, the basic elements of of um, stream entry, and then the. Um, in the, uh, the the readings here, then if um, 
we look at um, no really this is chapter 16 the, the, the reading number 8 this talks about the um, factors of stream entry or the things that help bring about stream entry so this is page 282 Then the Venerable Sariputta approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him and sat down to one side. The Blessed One then said to him, Sariputta, this is said, a factor for stream entry, a factor for stream entry. What now, Sariputta, is a factor for stream entry? Association with superior persons, Venerable Sir, is a factor for stream entry. Sapurisa Sangseva is the Pali. Hearing the true Dhamma is a factor for stream entry. Hearing other people's cell phones <laughs> sorry, is a factor for sympathetic embarrassment. Uh, hearing the true Dhamma is a factor for stream entry. Careful attention is a factor for stream entry. And that's the translation for uh, Yoni So Manasikara. Also translated as um, uh, wise attention, careful attention. And then practice in accordance with the Dhamma is a factor for stream entry. So those are association with superior persons, hearing the true Dhamma, careful attention, and practice in accordance with the Dhamma. Dhammanu Dhamma Patipata is the, the Pali for the last one. Dhammanu Dhamma Patipata. So practicing in accordance with Dhamma. So that means that uh, the means whereby you try to practice is in accord with Dhamma. So it's just that, because in, in, in Buddhism we're always recognizing the means and the end are totally uh, unified. They're, they're totally related to each other. So the, the, the philosophy of the end justifies the means is completely un-Buddhist. <laughs> that uh, if you use a, a, a kind of self-centered or aggressive or, or chaotic means, then you'll end up with a chaotic and, and painful and, and uh, complicated end. If you use a, a means which is... Uh, which is peaceful, which is uh, collaborative, which is, in, uh, which is harmless, then you'll end up with a, a, a peaceful and beneficial result. So then the Buddha responded, Good, good, Sariputta. Association with superior persons, Sariputta, is a factor for stream entry. Hearing the true Dhamma, careful attention, practice in accordance with Dhamma is a factor for stream entry. Sariputta, this is said, the stream, the stream. What now, Sariputta, is the stream? Just in case you guys have been wondering. <laughs> what is the stream that we're supposed to be entering? This noble eightfold path, Venerable Sir, is the stream. That is, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Good, good, Sariputta. This noble eightfold path is the stream. That is, right view, etc., etc. Sariputta, this is said, stream enterer, stream enterer. What now, Sariputta, is a stream enterer? One who possesses this noble eightfold path, Venerable Sir, is called a stream enterer. This Venerable One of such and such a name and clan. Good, good, Sariputta. One who possesses this noble eightfold path is a stream enterer. This venerable one of such a name and clan. So these uh, four factors for stream entry are very helpful to, to reflect on. So association with superior persons, uh, hearing the Dhamma, and careful attention, Yoniso Manasikara, and then practicing in accordance with Dhamma. And so these are, are helpful um, themes or, or ways of saying, if you want to, if stream entry is something that is... Uh, uh, appealing or that one wishes to, to cultivate that uh, according with that aspiration then these are things uh, that are all going to support that uh, very very directly and uh, it's also in, in terms of, of the Eightfold Path sometimes people wonder about this word right um, and the Pali is Sama so Sama Ditti right view uh, Sama Sankapo um, right uh, resolution and so on and so sometimes people um, quaver a bit at the idea of right, thinking, oh dear, we don't want right and wrong, that's, that's too abusive and kind of uh, judgmental and we're trying to get away from that you know, right and wrong um, polarity. But it's uh, the sama of, of sama ditti and so on, it isn't so much right as right opposed to wrong, it's more right as in um, like upright, like balanced, so that um, if, if this if this has fallen over, then if you if you write it, then you're you're, you're setting it upright again. So that's the the right of of uh, 
of right view. And, uh, and that interesting um, uh, observation by Ajahn Tanisaro is that the, the word sama is it's related to a musical, to a term that's used in, in ancient Indian music, which means attuned. So that the, um, when, when you are, say, playing a, a veena, like a, a stringed instrument, then you, uh, you uh, tune the strings so that they are all sama. They are, har- are harmonized. They're, they're in tune with each other. So that's a, a helpful uh, image to have. So it's rather like the eight... Eight factors of the eightfold path. They're they're the sama when they're attuned with each other, and attuned with reality. So it's um, it's a uh, it's a, in a way that which is harmonious. What's going to lead towards uh, a, a sort of a beautiful result. So that's a, a helpful way of, of understanding that. So then of the um, of these uh, latter section of the um, pieces on, on stream entry and uh, that um, I'll field a couple of questions on that and then we'll finish with the um, uh, the blessings of Nibbana but I'll just read one more little sutta which is uh, in a way very um, closely related to the concerns of the average householder, even though this is to someone who is the ruler of the Sakyans at the time. So when the, the Buddha, well, he was the crown prince, and so he stepped down from the job of, of ruling Sakyan kingdom. And then um, others took over in his wake, and one of these um, uh, was uh, called Mahanama. So this is uh, 16.11, uh, 16.11, here on page 284. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Sakyans at Kapilavatu in Nigroda's park. Then Mahanama the Sakyan approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side and said to him, Venerable Sir, this Kapilavatu is rich and prosperous, populous, crowded with congested thoroughfares. In the evening, when I'm entering Kapilavatu after visiting the Blessed One, or the bhikkhus worthy of esteem, I come across a stray elephant, a stray horse, a stray chariot, a stray cart, a stray man. On that occasion, Venerable Sir, my mindfulness regarding the Blessed One becomes muddled. My mindfulness regarding the Dhamma becomes muddled. My mindfulness regarding the Sangha becomes muddled. The thought then occurs to me, if at this moment I should die, what would be my destination? What would be my, what would be my future born? Like, isn't that a common kind of, not exactly the same phraseology, like, gee, if I, can, if I died with my mind like this, <coughs> where, would, where would I end up? So the Buddha uh, replies to Mahanama, who is a relative of his also, don't be afraid, Mahanama. Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. When a person's mind has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom, right here, crows, vultures, hawks, dogs and jackals or various creatures eat his body, consisting of form composed of the four great elements originating from mother and father, built up out of rice and gruel, subject to impermanence, being worn and rubbed away to breaking apart and dispersal. But his mind, which has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom, that goes upwards, goes to distinction. Suppose, Mahanama, a man submerges a pot of ghee or a pot of oil in a deep pool of water and breaks it. All of its shards and fragments would sink downwards, but the ghee or oil there would rise upwards. So too, Mahanama, when a person's mind has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom, Right here, crows and various creatures eat his body, but his mind, which has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom, that goes upwards, goes through distinction. Do not be afraid, Mahanama. Do not be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. So, nil desperandum. Don't despair. Any questions on those particular pieces of um, about stream entry and its various various factors yeah when you said doubt is doubt of what the path is mm-hmm. about self-doubt is that related to that um, that's well um, that I would have m- that under, more under the category of doubt, which is a obstruction to concentration. 
uh, again, different people talk about it in different ways, but this is my understanding that, um, that there, the doubt that's in the list of the five hindrances, which is probably known to most people, <laughs> the, uh, uh, that is um, particularly what, what is being hindered is concentration. The five hindrances are specifically about the qualities of samadhi. So that can be any kind of the mind is sort of, oh, I'm, I'm useless, I'm hopeless. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, what am I doing here? Um, so that's, that's all under the, the, the doubt, which is an obstruction to concentration. But even if there's a freedom from that kind of doubt, um, then the more, in a way, the more central or, or significant doubt is... Uh, or is that sense of okay? This is the this is the the right way to practice, or this is the important uh, element. This is the this is the insight that needs to be developed. And um, if you want to know what that is, <laughs> also one of the the characteristic ways that stream entry is described. In fact, probably the most common is when the insight into stream entry is is described. Um, it's usually in the form of. Uh, then that person realized all that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. So the, the insight, which might seem like, well, that's not news. <laughs> I was expecting a big, spectacular and original delivery there. It's, um, that's the, the, uh, the fundamental um, freedom from doubt is, is seeing that uh, um, recognizing that whatever it is, it arises and passes away. Seeing that, and that, that cultivating that quality of of, um, of ob- observation and seeing the the changing nature of the five khandhas: form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. That whatever it is, it changes, regardless of its content. So it's. It's recognizing that that's, you know, the path is, is focused, uh, the path of liberation, the path to liberation is focused principally around the wisdom that arises uh, from seeing into that uh, transient nature and and transient unsatisfactory nature of of all things. Any other questions? Everyone's beyond doubt? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. So the um, sutta that you read be- just before this about the about asking Sariputta about the stream and the mm-hmm. and the um, stream enterer. Mm. So it's not just sufficient to be aligned with the eightfold path, but these three fetters also need to be given up, right? Yeah, the um, both of those are. I mean, the, the um, I would say being aligned with the eightfold path to to some degree. I mean, they're, they're woven into each other, but the the, the clear benchmarks are uh, for stream entry are around um, those characteristics of seeing. Oh, right! How could this body have an owner? Oh, right! Of course. And I, oh, of course. Well, how? It's just in this country we drive on the right. Well, how could that be ultimately right or wrong? Duh. That um, and that uh, that sense of of um, those insights into uh, the uh, and the letting go of those first three fetters, they are they're all to do with being in alignment with the, the eightfold path, and then that alignment becomes more and more. Complete and perfect as the the stages of enlightenment progress, if you like. So that through the so that the, but there there needs to be um, you know, a basic uh, alignment with the eightfold path as part of that that whole process. So that and as like entering the stream, what is the stream? So it's like you've the eightfold path. So it's like you're in the stream, and and also the part of it and why it's called the breakthrough is this quality of irre- irreversibility. And I was using that example of once you've learned to ride a bicycle, you really can't unlearn it. There's a body memory that happens when you learn to ride a bicycle, that, you, that somehow something shifts 
there's a, there's a basic non-conceptual learning that, that happens. So in the same way with, with stream entry, there's a, an irreversible shift that you can't, once you've seen the, the, how the, say like a graphic illusion, once you, you've seen the Dalmatian in the patches of sunlight, you can't really unsee, you know it's there and you can't unsee it. You can't relate to it as you, you saw it um, be, before, you know, as it was appeared to you before you, you kind of figured out the pattern and then you, oh look, there's the dog. I see the dog in the patches of sunlight. Right. So you might glance back at it and say, oh, well, where's it gone? But you know it's there and you know it's just a matter of, of sort of shifting your vision. Okay, I see it again. But So it's that kind of, that quality of an irreversible change. And so that there, it's like there's a, in that there's an alignment with the eightfold path that it's sort of, it can't degenerate beyond a certain point. You can't unsee that. So, so there's a point at which bringing your life in alignment with the eightfold path brings you to this point where it, it becomes basically you can't go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's an inherent kind of process that if you're following that mm-hmm. process that happens. Yeah, and also one of the ways that, uh, it's a little bit heretical, but one of the ways of, of looking at the no more than seven lifetimes uh, concept is that uh, you, uh, once someone has entered the stream, they can, they can only get really lost up to seven more times. Like, you can only get like totally distracted. Because stream enters can blow it. You know, they can get caught up in anger and and... Yeah, confusion and lust and so on. They can get deluded, but it gets harder and harder. This is you know, the way it's described. It's, it's harder and harder to get lost. It's more and more painful and you feel stupider and stupider. <laughs> like, <laughs> like until... Hmm? <laughs> so does it become... It, it, I'm, I'm assuming it becomes apparent when you become a stream enterer then. I mean, there's some kind of radical change in the way that you're seeing the world that that makes it clear that you can't kind of fall off the, <laughs> fall off the path. Yeah, I, there, there's a, a change of perspective, but a person might not necessarily know that this is this this shift that just happened is called stream entry. You know, it's just something changes in the way that they they see the world and say, oh, but they wouldn't necessarily think of it in that way. Um, and so that um, it just, uh, but that, that the the actual change in terms of understanding and, and say non-identification with the, the body and the personality, then that would be there, regardless. Okay, so I see we've magically reached four o'clock already. I don't know how the how the time passed, but um, if there's any more uh, questions, and I'll just before. Um, uh, I'll read the, the, the final passage of today's abbreviated you know, romp through the, the island. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a question by the, by the door there. So the first one you mentioned uh, for stream entry is association with superior persons. Mm-hmm. So the, how much does that mean actual living with or contact, personal contact with, let's say, uh, enlightened beings such as living in a monastery? Uh, yeah, it means real humans, regular, <laughs> regular good humans, sapurisa. And uh, the, there's a, in the Majjhima Nikaya, there's a, um, uh, I forget which number it is, but it's called the Sapurisa Sutta, about the, I think it might be 113, it's either 113 or 137. Um, and it's, uh, the Buddha describes what are the qualities of a superior person, of a sapurisa. And it really just means a, a good person. And uh, so he, he lists the various qualities, but it doesn't mean someone has to be a monastic. Or, but it's just generally um, spending time with people who are who live in a wholesome way, who cultivate uh, noble qualities, who are you know, honest and kind, and are going to encourage those qualities in you. Uh, so it's uh, and then who's um, also, he, he focuses in on qualities of humility also, that a, a superior person, and if I remember the sutta correctly, uh, over and over again he says he doesn't exalt them, that a superior person does not exalt themselves and disparage others. They don't 
for their own excellent qualities, they don't say, wow, I'm so, look, I mean, I'm really, I'm a very fine person. <laughs> you know, I know I shouldn't compare, but, you know, just being practical, being realistic, I am actually kind of way ahead of the other rest of the pack. And so over and over again, he, he points to the, that one of the, the main qualities of a superior person is that they don't, even if they might have uh, very high levels of concentration, they might be very wise or, or um, have um, a lot of spiritual qualities, that they don't get inflated on account of that. And that's emphasized over and over again. A I guess a mensch, yeah. My uh, further thought was so not to necessarily promote monastic living, but I can only imagine that living uh, in the uh, under the tutelage of someone like Ajahn Chah, to have that one-on-one contact and interact on just even normal levels, just to gain <coughs> such profound lessons. I'm just is that the point I'm suggesting? Well, it's it certainly helps. I mean the. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, uh, that's my uh, uh, my favorite approach. <laughs> but it's uh, I wouldn't limit it to that. You know, that the monasteries were set up in order to be a kind of sapurisa camp. You know, so that it's a it's a it's designed to be an environment where where um, good-hearted people can support each other and uh, everybody who has a an interest or uh, that uh, appeals to them, they they can show up and, and be part of that. So it's it's for that. But similarly, in this place like this, at IMC is, serves a similar function. The Sati Center programs is it's a sort of sa- sapurisa fest, <laughs> you know, joining together, spending your your Halloween, you know, reflecting on nibbana rather than getting your costume ready for the evening. You know. Maybe you've got your costumes ready or, already. Yeah. <laughs> I need mine. <laughs> Sometimes when we when we're ar- around town at this time of the year, oftentimes <laughs> people do wonder. People do wonder. Yeah, yeah. We can only accept it food in the morning, though. <laughs> Candy, yeah. So the last reading I'd like to give is this one um, I quoted briefly earlier, the Dabba the Malian. This is in the final chapter, Ah, What Bliss. And um, so I'll, I'll read a couple of, the last one is where the, this, um, the quotation comes from. So this is on page 349. And this is, um, again, the Buddha is amongst the Sakyans. And um, thus have I heard, this is 20... Thus have I heard, at one time the Lord was staying at Anupiya in the mango orchard. At time the venerable Badia Kaligoda's son, on going into the forest to the foot of a tree or to an empty place, constantly uttered, Ah, what bliss! Ah, what bliss! A number of bhikkhus heard the venerable Badia constantly uttering, Ah, what bliss! Ah, what bliss! And the thought came to them, Hmm... No doubt, friend, the venerable Badia, Kali Goda's son, is dissatisfied with leading the holy life, since formerly when he was a householder he enjoyed the bliss of royalty. And when recollecting that, on going into the forest, he utters, Oh, what bliss! Oh, what bliss! Then a number of bhikkhus approached the Lord, prostrated themselves, sat down to one side and reported this to the Lord. Then the Lord addressed a certain bhikkhu, saying, Come, bhikkhu, hear my name, tell the bhikkhu Badia. The teacher calls you, friend Badia. Very well, revered sir, the bhikkhu replied, and approaching Badia, etc., etc. Very well, venerable Badia replied, and approaching the Lord, he prostrated himself, sat down to one side. The Lord said to him, Is it true, Badia, that on going into the forest you utter, Ah, oh, what bliss, ah, oh, what bliss? Yes, revered sir. But Badia, what do you see that prompts you to do so? Formerly, revered sir, when I was a householder and, enjo- and enjoyed the bliss of royalty, inside and outside my inner apartments, guards were appointed. Inside and outside the city, guards were appointed. Inside and outside the district, guards were appointed. But, revered sir, although I was thus guarded and protected, I lived fearful, agitated, distrustful, and afraid. 
But now, revered sir, on going alone into the forest to the foot of a tree or to an empty place, I'm fearless, unagitated, confident and unafraid. I live unconcerned, unruffled, my needs satisfied with a mind become like a deer's. Seeing this, revered sir, prompts me on going to the forest to utter constantly, Ah, what bliss! Ah, what bliss! Then on realizing its significance, the Lord uttered on that occasion this inspired utterance. In whom exist no inner stirrings, having passed beyond being this or that, free from fear, blissful and sorrowless, the devas are not capable of seeing him. As can now be seen, Nibbana brings forth the fruit of bliss. In turn, the factors leading to Nibbana need to be nurtured along with the other seeds, terrain and the aspects of cultivation laid out in the Buddha's teaching. This fruition is the Buddha's sole goal in dedicating his efforts to teaching and training others throughout his long and illustrious life. All the teachings compiled in this collection are for aiding us in our search for well-being and peace. Having recognized that Nibbana is a possibility for ourselves, we are able to take the seeds, prepare the ground and cultivate the fruit. The bliss of tasting and being nourished by this fruit is a principle of nature that we are all able to realize. A last example illustrating this principle of Nibbana as a state of intrinsic well-being also comes in the Udana. In the previous Sutta passage, Badiya describes the bliss of Nibbana as experienced in this life. In this passage, after the passing away of Dabba the Malian, the Buddha affirms that Nibbanic bliss is not affected or altered by the death of the body. Just as the born is not known of the gradual fading glow given off by the furnace-heated iron as it is struck with the smith's hammer, so there is no pointing to the born of those perfectly released who have crossed the flood of bondage to sense desires and attained unshakable bliss. If you don't know where you're going, <laughs> you know, you'll wind up somewhere else. So hopefully this uh, day has been uh, uh, supportive, helpful as to get a sense of where we're going, where we're aiming for, that island um, which uh, you cannot go beyond. So uh, please uh, take whatever has been useful that uh, has been said today and uh, take it and use it and whatever is not useful or confusing or just plain weird or wrong, then please uh, feel most welcome to leave that aside. So I'm not sure what form the schmoozing takes, but uh, please, probably involves tea drinking and, uh, uh, and such like, but uh, however you are accustomed to have your four to five o'clock periods, then please, may it be so.